Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number nine, Comic Reviews for the week of September the 12th. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thanks once again for joining us for another episode of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, this week in comics, is actually, uh, looking back on it, it was kind of a mediocre week. There were some really good books, but there was a lot of stuff that I just kind of felt kind of meh. Um, a lot of, I think, sixes and seven ratings this week. Stuff that wasn't bad, per se. Just It didn't necessarily um, get a big reaction from me as a reader. It was kind of there. I liked some of the issues a lot, some of the issues not so much. Uh, this is the you know the, another week of uh, having uh, a lot of DC number zero issues, which is both good and bad. Uh, I found that this maybe this crop wasn't quite as strong as the first crop, um, but we got a lot of books to get into today. Uh, I think we're we're looking at about twenty five books, so that's a that's a lot of material. And I still think even with all that, I think actually I think it's about twenty six books, and we're kind of neglecting nine, uh, five from DC and four from Marvel. It just it was it was a huge week, um, or just it seemed like a very huge week when I was going through the stack. So there's a few issues which unfortunately won't end up getting touched on, but. Um, uh, it's not a question of whether or not they were good books or not, especially one or two of them looking at them probably are pretty good. Uh, it's just, it was more, just, there was a lot of issues and there's limited time and limited things I can read in a week. So unfortunately those issues didn't get picked up. So let's start us off. We're looking at Avengers Assemble number seven. Uh, now Avengers Assemble, especially with Marvel now coming, I really don't know if there's really a point to having this book anymore, especially where... Jonathan Hickman's uh, upcoming Avengers title seems to be including enough the, all the movie Avengers in his 18, uh, 18 member roster. So I don't know. I don't know if there's really a, as much of a point to this book anymore. Uh, that being said, I mean it's really still telling the first main story with Thanos. Um, I like this issue. It it's kind of a, it's just a weird book. It feels like it, it exists in its own kind of vacuum. Bendis is writing it, Bagley and Art. I love Bagley's art. Uh, here it's extremely good. He's got some great uh, you know, guys on his creative team. we got Danny Mickey doing the inks, which is a little bit different. It's not his usual guy, I don't believe. Paul Mount's doing colors. He's a tremendous colorist, so it looks great. Uh, that being said, like I find the script is a little bit more bothersome sometimes than the, than the artwork. I find the script... I mean, I, I guess that this is... I'm a continuity fan, and I just feel like... If you're going to do a big Thanos story, you should know a little bit more about Thanos and the characters he's interacted with before and maybe write him a little bit more convincingly. Um, Also, I feel like if all the Avengers were suddenly in space, they'd all be dead and they wouldn't be able to survive even if they didn't, you know, couldn't breathe. No, I think they'd be dead just being in space. But that being said, there's a lot of action here. What I do appreciate about Bendis is that he's dialed it back in this issue. There's not really a lot as much scripting. There's a lot more focus on you know, the actual artwork. Artwork is telling a story, you're in space, no one's talking to each other really, things are happening, and it isn't until they get inside like a pressurized lock where you actually have people talking again. Uh, that being said, I'm still not really sold in this version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and again, this is more of a continuity thing, and I feel like if I could just let some of that go, I would enjoy this a lot more. But because I'm as big a fa- I was a big fan of the, the last iteration of the Guardians, so I think that made it harder to kind of reconcile this version with that because I don't know why this is the decision that's been made, why Star-Lord is talking like this now, why he doesn't really seem to act like he used to. Um, it, it just feels very different. Uh, that being said, it was still fairly good. The artwork's fantastic. The artwork is the major drop in this issue for me. Uh, I still gave it a 7 out of 10. It was not bad. I mean, it's good. It's just not great, and it 
it's at times just kind of there and it's good enough, but it's not always good good, but if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, that brings us up to Avengers vs. X-Men number 11. This one I went back and forth on. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to give it in terms of a rating. It's, uh, I just feel like, man, like this is, this is the end of Cyclops. Like I, I almost, I don't think he's going to die. I don't know if he's going to die or not, but I feel like I wish he would. Uh, first of all, I don't know where Hope and Scarlet Witch are really factoring in here. I mean, they're, they're here and they're, well, more Scarlet Witch than anything, but like the whole series was built on this idea that there's the Scarlet Witch is back in the world now. And what does that mean? And hope is there. And what does that mean? And along the way, it became about something else entirely, which is, and on the one hand, cool because it subverts expectations, but also you build up expectations for a reason, and then when those aren't even, you know, nearly met or even addressed, then it kind of gets a little frustrating. Um, that being said, it's just it's hard to look at this issue. Look at what happens to Cyclops, and not think like where where could they, where could they take him from here? I mean, they they've kind of they kind of ruining Cyclops forever. Um, yes, he's been possessed by the Phoenix, but I mean, he's done a lot of bad things, and that continues in this issue. And uh, this issue, well, I, I mean, we're doing spoilers anyway, but this issue is the big death of Professor Xavier, which I I wanted it to feel like it mattered more, and I felt like. Uh, Bendis, who wrote this issue, we have Quipel on art. I feel like he really made a big effort to try and be like, "Hey, look, Xavier really matters." Like he was, he wasn't mattering in the beginning of the storyline. Then he was like, kind of warning Scott before, and then this issue feels like he's starting to take more of a presence. But the minute that happens, it's telegraphing the fact that yeah, he's going to die or something bad's going to happen to him because he hasn't been relevant in years. I mean, ever since Deadly Genesis. And uh, the end of Morrison's run, ever since then, Xavier's just kind of been pushed away. He doesn't matter as much. And then when he was shot in the head in Messiah Complex, that was really the end of me even caring about the character. Because then he wasn't really Xavier anymore. And I I felt that's when I started to lose, really lose track of where the X-Men were going or what they were. So he's, he dies here, and it sucks, it's sad, but I don't know if it really mattered as much. And this is, again, one of those books where, like, I don't know why Scott is taking so long to do things. Like... You know, he retreats from the last issue and he's talking with Emma, but while he's talking with Emma, there's enough time for all like a, a lot of mutants to seek asylum and start living. You see the beginning of what's going to become a kind of uncanny Avengers and that kind of a, uh, idea. Um, uh, I just it wasn't bad. It, it wasn't a bad issue. I guess it's just so not what I wanted, and it just seems so the easy way to go. And now Scott is Dark Phoenix. I mean, duh. The minute one of them lost the power and he saw it going to the others, he knew that was probably going to happen. I just now I just feel like there's only one issue left. What else could really happen to make this end well at all? And I just this is Avengers beating up the X Men, or you know, and basically Scott Summers was wrong, nothing he did was right, and now he killed a man. It was like a father to him. It just feels like you're painting him into such a corner that is he salvageable as a character? I mean, I almost kind of hope he does die because I don't want to see him as a villain, but that's what he's become because of these writers that, again, this is just reminds me of Civil War, how at least in that book, Iron Man wasn't an actual villain. It was the times that made him a villain. Here, no, Cyclops is outright villainous. And yeah, they can always be like, well, that was because he was possessed. You know what? Still, you took one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite X-Men, and made him into a, a cold villain who's just killing people. So, I don't have a lot of patience and tolerance for that. I give it about a 6.5 out of 10. It's not bad. It, it's just Again, it's just kind of there. It the artwork by Koi Pell is actually quite nice. I mean, but the story is not... 
if you had to kind of come up with two numbers and add them together and figure out how it gets this rating, the art is is pulling it up. I, I tell you, and it's it's not it's not getting this six and a half based on the the writing. It's because of the art pulling it up from a lower amount. Brings us to Avenging Spider-Man number twelve. This I felt was a giant mess. Uh, I do not know who Kevin Schnick is. I didn't care for his writing on this book at all. Uh, I I just I didn't even know if it made like what was the point of this. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So Kevin Schnick's writing, Aaron Cooter and Art. I don't really like either of them. This is a weird version of Deadpool. They're traipsing through Peter Parker's mind. He's 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 these dream levels, and there's various dream levels they have to go through. I just I don't know. I don't get what the point of this is. They're trying so hard to be funny and be like you know very meta. I just found this boring. I found it boring, pointless. And I don't, I'm not looking forward to the fact that the issue's not even over. Sort of the story's not actually over because it continues in the next issue. Hypno Hustler, yay, I'm, I guess. Um, he's one of those characters who everyone always says, well, this is one of the big morts of the Spider-Man rogues gallery. And yet people are always asking, when are you bringing him back? Him and Big Wheel. They're always like, when are you bringing back these guys? Even those two of the most biggest losers Spider-Man's ever faced. They weren't even good enough to be in the Legion of Losers. So, but let's bring them back again and again. So I just, ugh, that was uh, that was a six out of ten. I actually don't even know why I gave it that. You know, I take it back. Give it a five, maybe even a four, four and a half. How about that? Because it's not. It just wasn't. The more I think about it, the more it bothers me. So I'm gonna give it a four and a half out of ten. Brings us to a much better issue, thankfully. Uh, Batgirl number zero. Uh, I was really actually looking forward to seeing what they were gonna do with this. And I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, this is actually a really good book, a really good kind of snapshot of who Barbara Gordon was before she became Batgirl, how she kind of made the decision to become Batgirl. Uh, just really, really cool. Um, they've got a great take on the character. I've been enjoying the main book, although I, I do like this flashback because it's it's a it's a younger version of her, and before she had more issues, and it's just it, it's a really clear, concise vision of how this Batgirl came to be in this reality and how she first met Batman and what that's like and what kind of impact that would have on one's life. Uh, this is by Gail Simone and Ed Bennis. Beautiful artwork, just gorgeous. Uh, the colors are fantastic. Uh, Barbara looks fantastic. Uh, she has a, like, um, they have like a, a mock-up of what Batman's costume looks like and she gets to wear it and then you get to see a little bit of what she looks as Batgirl in kind of in the more uh, familiar kind of original costume with a little looks a little updated and tweaked but it's still essentially the old costume uh you also get a a glimpse of who i'm guessing is what dick looked like when he was robin which is actually pretty cool um great issue really enjoyable it ends in like such a you know it, it ends with joker you know at the door about to shoot her so it's really dark uh, but really good. If you don't know who Barbara Gordon is or don't understand the significance of the ending, it won't really work for you in the same way. You'll be like, well, what happens next? But uh, it's designed more if you know who Batgirl is and you know what happens to her and how she gets crippled. They're making sure that this still happens. So, uh, very good. I just wanted to point out the colors by Ulysses Areola. doesn't even seem like a... It seems almost like a pig name, but... I guess that's the name of the colorist. Uh, and the inks are actually done by Bennis himself. Because he does have a different look to it. But uh, it almost reminded me of Francis Manipal and some of the the way that his pencils sometimes look. Um, but no, a very good look for Bennis. This looks fantastic. Great issue. Really enjoyed it. Uh, 8 out of 10. Solid. Uh, actually, my, maybe even more than that. You know what? I'm going to... Man, I'm revisiting a lot today. Uh, you know what? 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed this. I would read it again. I, just flipping through it, it was like, yeah, this is a really solid issue. 
Bring us to Batman number zero. This is an issue I, I liked it. Uh, Snyder and Capullo back together uh, after the last issue's um, you know hiccup because uh, they were giving Capullo time to I guess to prepare this. Uh, you got the you know the Red Hood gang. You got Batman before he's Batman, so he's Bruce Wayne back in the city, but not yet Batman. Uh, I don't mind the story. It's pretty cool. It's very kind of Batman Beginsy. He's got like something that's very similar to the Bat Pod. He's not yet at the manor. He's he's actually near Crime Alley, is where his hideout is. You see his first interaction with Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon suspects that maybe Bruce Wayne is connected to this new vigilante. You're seeing the the impact of of uh, the installation of the Bat Signal on. Oh, sorry, this, they jump forward at the very end of the issue with an issue by uh, a story by James Tinney in the fourth. Uh, they have a brief glimpse of what the Robins were doing when the first bat signal was put up. So you see a look at Tim Drake, Jason Todd, Dick Grayson, and also uh, Barbara Gordon when when the signal first goes up. Pretty good. The only thing that bothers me about the issue, and, and bothers me quite a lot actually, is the, uh, the, the insistence on DC of putting actual, like in some of the, these zero issues, it just says then and then now, or something like that. Whereas this one, it gives a definite date. So six years ago, he hadn't actually adopted the Batman identity yet. Now, I can't remember exactly from the Detective Comics Zero. I think that was supposed to be nine or ten years ago when he was still training. So this is six years ago. So this is a year before Justice League, around the time that uh, Superman is first showing up. And you got the Red Hood gang, but you still don't have any of the Robins active, which seems really just... Uh, it still seems like such a huge amount of history to put into a five-year period. Uh, and even, like, even Damien, like... Well, as we'll get to in Batman and Robin, it looks like he has a fair amount of birthdays. So, but they call him the Bat. But technically, when he was being told this, Batman didn't exist. I just feel like they're making more problems than they need to by trying to have these definite dates of this many years ago, this many years ago. That's really the only problem I have with the issue. It just frustrates me. But otherwise, it's a pretty solid issue. You got some cool stuff happening. I like the the interactions. The only problem is that it just kind of ends. Uh, where some of these zero issues, they end on a point where you're like, okay, well, that it concludes that chapter of the origin. This one, I don't know what happens next. Like, the Red Hood, they're about to blow something up, and then it just changes. Uh, I like the backup story. That ended on a great note. I thought that was really cool. And seeing how the Bat Signal inspired four different people, um, but and how it kind of sets up what happens later. But I just thought the ending of this issue was really, of the main story, was actually really uh, kind of lacking. But I uh, give that Batman number zero... An 8 out of 10. That uh, brings us to Batman and Robin number 0, which I also actually gave an 8 out of 10. Uh, pretty good issue. Um, this was a, a, a giant flashback to the upbringing of Damien and kind of sets up where we first met him during the Batman and the Sun arc. So a lot of this stuff that still happened, it's a it's a pretty good story, pretty solid. It kind of it fits in well with Morrison's portrayal of both Talia and uh, the early years of uh, Damien. It's brutal, it's violent, uh, but you can really get in, get a sense of who Damien was and why, and how long it took him to become, even know who his father was and, and what his upbringing with Ty really was like and to create this perfect warrior. Uh, very solid, very enjoyable. I love Tomasi's artwork, sorry, not artwork. His writing is very solid. Uh, Gleason's artwork, not as solid actually in some places as it usually is, but for the most part he really nails this issue. And uh, I'd have to give it, as I said, an 8 out of 10. So that brings us up to Captain America and Black Widow, technically number 636, but really this is just Captain America and, and this happens to be Black Widow's issue. 
I can't really say I'm a big fan of this book anymore. It's it's really on and off. It's uh, you know it has different characters showing up, and I like the idea that it's basically a Captain America team up book. I just wish it was better. Uh, Colin Bunn is writing it. Uh, the artwork in this issue is done by Francesco Francavilla. Uh, or Francavilla, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I I found the artwork just not that good, to be honest with you. I, I didn't find it in... The colors, actually... Uh, I'll have to check who the colorist was. I was not impressed with the colors. The colors actually took me out of the story for a bit. Um, looks like... Oh, it looks like uh, Francavilla did the... He was the art, He's credited as the artist on cover, so... It looks like he did the colors as well. I'm not a fan... They just don't look right. They're drab at times and just very generic. Uh, the overall story was kind of neat, but again, I was—I I felt confused. I felt like, what, what's really going on here? What's going on with Black Widow? What's going on with these, you know, this this person that they that they're hunting? And it looks like there's alternate versions. I just felt very confused. Maybe it was just when I sat down to read it, I wasn't really kind of feeling. This Captain America issue, it just didn't really work for me, especially when there was like two Captain America comics coming out this week. There was Captain America seventeen in this in this book, and this one just did not work for me at all. I uh, was not impressed. I uh, gave it about a six out of ten. Um, I just did, didn't like the story. The artwork was terrible. It just didn't fit, and I just didn't enjoy it all that much. Brings us to Captain America number seventeen. Uh, this is by Brubaker and Bun with Ethan on artwork. Uh, it's not bad. I just I don't know. I, I I miss when Brubaker was writing a bit more of a a darker cap. And you know what? Part of that's the artwork, to be honest with you, because I, as much as I really love Scott Eaton's stuff, uh, his stuff is very flashy, big superhero stuff. It's not really gritty, um, not noir, but like secret agent kind of stuff. So I kind of miss that aspect of how Brubaker used to write Captain America. So this issue, it's not bad. It's, I gave it a 7, seven out of 10. You got some nice Baron Zemo appearances, although, and I like his current costume, although I don't really like that he's back to being such a blasé kind of villain. Uh, that being said, I like the interactions with Diamondback and Captain America. I like that he's taking everything pretty hard as uh, as the Discordian attacks continue. But, you know, it, it's got a lot of big action. You have this big, uh, you know, showdown about to happen in Hydra City. You've got this stuff happening up in space, or Hydra Island. You've got uh, Agent 13 going into space uh, and fighting against Zemo. Pretty cool. I mean, it's it, it, it's big stuff. Uh, I like the Falcon in here. I mean, it's not like I don't like it. It's just I would have preferred something a little bit different. But you can't fault the book for not being what you wanted it to be. You have to assess it on its actual merit. So it's it's a solid issue. It's just I wasn't as impressed as I would have liked to have been, I guess. That brings us to Deathstroke number zero. Uh, I actually really enjoy. I kind of enjoyed this. I mean, it wasn't the greatest. It was. I prefer aspects of the original origin for um, for Deathstroke. But that being said, I mean, it was interesting seeing a little bit of the Team Seven stuff because Team Seven, as we see it in this book, sorry, in its own book, is set before this. Um, whereas here we see what happens during Team Seven. We see how Slade really becomes Deathstroke for the first time. We see about his son. Uh, you see what happens to his wife. It's told from his wife's point of view. You learn about Grant and Joseph, his two children, which I guess means that Rose doesn't exist at all. Uh, pretty cool. Um, Liefeld on the art, not is it actually felt very restrained for Liefeld. A lot of people hate him. Um, I don't always think all of his artwork is that bad. He's got he falls into certain pitfalls and traps. I'm sure he does. 
uh, and it's not always the most solid artwork, but on the whole, like, you feel like he was having some fun with the issue, which is a lot, I believe it's his last issue of Deathstroke, he wrote it and illustrated it, I didn't hate it, I thought it was actually pretty solid, I haven't followed this book, but I feel like this is probably one of the better issues, because it's uncluttered, it's very simple, I liked it more than issue one, for sure, which I, thinking back, I don't even know if he actually did himself. Or if that was someone else. Um, so I apologize that I don't can't think of it off the top of my head. So he gave Deathstroke number 0 a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Fantastic Four number 610. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Brian Stegman. I really loved his artwork on Scarlet Spider. I do not know what it is. But this just is... The, his artwork here doesn't work for me. It's still good. But this isn't the segment I thought we were going to get on this book. Because when he left Scarlet Spider, I was like, this is a huge void that he's leaving because he was just such a, a brilliant artist with such a, you know, I, maybe I have to look closely at the credits and really see the like, who went with him and who didn't because he just had such a great style. The inks were perfect. The colors were perfect. It, it was so electric. It was full of energy. If you look at his covers of Scarlet Spider, they're brilliant. And then I get to his artwork in this book and it just doesn't quite feel the same. It, it lacks a little bit of the, um, the smoothness, uh, like maybe maybe the inks, maybe the inker here is giving a bit of a rougher tone. Whereas in the, in, on Scarlet Spider, it was very um, there wasn't a lot of lines. Like it was very smooth look to all the artwork. Whereas here it's a little bit scratchier, a little bit more detailed laden, which works. It's fine. It's still good stuff. I mean, I don't want to say he's not doing good art because he is, but this just isn't as good as I've seen him be. Um, I'm trying to think. He almost reminded me of. No, it's not Humberto Ramos because it's a very different style, but somewhat similar in some way. I I wish I could really figure out exactly what I'm trying to say there. It's, it's still good. It's still good stuff. It's just not quite what I would have expected. Uh, I feel like this book in general, I mean, I love Hickman's take on Fantastic Four, but I feel like he reached the end of his major arc's crescendo. All this stuff was happening, and it felt like every piece was, was, was clicking into place and that everything from the last couple of years was coming, was really you know, all coming together. And then afterwards, it just feels like we've had some interesting stories, but I don't, because we all know it's ending anyway, and that, like, we've known for months that that, uh, Hickman was going to be leaving it, it feels like it doesn't really have that sense of, you know, building to something new or building to the conclusion, and then he's going to be leaving, and then Fraction and uh, Bailey will take it somewhere else. So I I guess I just wish it had a better sense of maybe self-direction and destiny what it wants to do uh, with the time we have left. And that cover is actually, the more I look at it, the more I don't really understand the... Mr. Fantastic is kind of coming towards you, and he's all, you know, doing some weird folds, but I actually, there's a, there's a, there's something coming at you, and I don't know if that's like a leg or something, or just a weird, you know, if anyone wants to look at that and, and tell me what, what, they, what they see, that'd be great, because I don't understand. Uh, that being said, I like the idea that you know, you have aim mechanics, uh, sorry, advanced idea mechanics buying their own island, uh, and then they take it over because they buy it, buy it illegally. They have a new person kind of representing them. Uh, they're embarrassed by what they've been doing with the wizard, so the FF goes to, comes to get them. Um, and it's and you have Reed Richards acting as um, as an ambassador from the United States for to this new uh, place, Barbuda, which is really AIM Island. Uh, really cool. I actually really enjoyed that aspect of it. It didn't all work, but most of it was pretty enjoyable. Uh, solid. I just wish I knew where it was going, or that it had a sense of, it, that it knew where it was going. Uh, it's a two-parter with FF number 22. 
uh, which is coming out on the 26th of September. So that'll be the second half of the wizard story. Uh, pretty good overall. I mean, it wasn't bad. Uh, 7.5 out of 10. It wasn't the strongest, but it also wasn't bad by any means. Uh, Green Lantern Corps number zero. I actually really dug this issue. Uh, I gra- Guy Gardner has been a complicated character in the past, but Tomasi and uh, his uh, partner here, Fernando Pissarin, who's doing the art, do a really good job of showing the origin of of Guy Gardner in the New 52. We see him as a trainee, and then we see him uh, when he first got the ring, and we see a little bit more about his family. I don't remember much of his family. I remember we saw a little bit in the Booster Gold series. Uh, there was a flashback to Guy Gardner when he got the ring. This is different, uh, or actually when he didn't get the ring, and when Hal got, got it instead, and he had to be at a certain spot so that he wouldn't get the ring. Uh, this is quite different, I believe, from established origin. You see his family, they're all cops, and uh, you see a, a, a fight with his father, and then when he's at his father's place, his father has a police scanner, he hears that something's happening with his brother, so he tries to save his brother's life, and you know his brother gets shot up, and you know, uh, the partner, his partner, sorry, his brother's partner gets shot up, and, you know, he's, he's trying to get away from these, from these criminals, and then, boom, he becomes a Green Lantern, and he's able to save everyone. Really cool issue, it was just really neat to see his origin, and it just, it felt very dramatic, and very cool, and then you see how he first meets Hal, uh, how he first gets, like, the actual symbol on his chest when he, uh, is promoted from being a trainee, I just really dug this issue. It was really solid characterization. This is a fantastic issue, Green Lantern Corps. Number, uh, so that's issue number zero. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Very solid. Uh, brings us to Journey into Mystery 643, which is uh, part three of six of Everything Burns. Uh, I really was surprised by the last uh, the last chapter, which was in, uh, pardon me, Mighty Thor. But uh, this is a new issue by Guillen of uh, Fraction, writing it with Diaz Domenico on art. Who I'm a huge fan of. So the art here is brilliant. The storytelling is magnificent. Jin uh, Domenico can really illustrate almost anything and make it work. Um, the story I felt was a little exposition heavy um, and not all that linear. Or it was a little extra confusing, which was a shame because I I really do like this book and well, and I'm sad that Kid Loki will no longer be the focus coming up with Marvel now. Um, I give it about a seven out of ten. The artwork is brilliant. The artwork was the highlight of the issue. The story, I felt, you had such a great point where it left off with a Mighty Thor, and then this issue felt disconnected from that. It almost felt like it didn't want to read like an essential time, but then it leaves Thor in a spot at the end where, like, when you pick up Mighty Thor, you're going to be like, what the hell just happened? So it was a weird... It's kind of like it was trying to be set aside and kind of exist on its own and not be as integral to this career crossover that they're doing, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but then it also is such hep- so com- connected at the end. Uh, very convoluted. It's really just for, for long-time readers of Journey into Mystery to understand some of what's happening. I liked the reveal in Mighty Thor when we saw that Leah was back. I didn't feel like they really did enough with that, though. Or at least made enough sense of it where I could be like, oh, that makes sense. I like this. So, uh, brings us to Legion Lost number zero. I gave that six and a half out of ten. I don't really know much about the Legion of Superheroes. That's why I was excited about getting a zero issue. I haven't really read this run. I remember reading issue one and wasn't that impressed. Uh, so it, it, it focuses on, um, Timberwolf. Uh, it's not a very, eh, it's an okay story. I mean, it wasn't the most well-developed origin I've ever seen. Um, uh, basically like he, his, his mom, his mother dies and then his dad dies and 
he's he's involved he wants to bring justice and he becomes a vigilante i it wasn't a bad origin i don't think they made enough sense of how being this vigilante on his planet gets him you know kind of a meet like this guy this guy from the science police saying well i'll introduce you to the legion of superheroes and maybe you can join the team and i'm like uh based on what like he what has he done to show that he's ready to be on that team like he's basically just a vigilante and not like batman who's like Batman's vigilante too, but he's brilliant. Whereas this is just a guy who doesn't seem that brilliant, they're smart. He's just angry, and he's a is a vigilante who you know ends up doing the right thing and not killing the people he's he wants revenge against. But I mean, I just this didn't work for me. I was hoping for something a little bit different, maybe an origin, more of an origin into who the Legion is and this new Fifty Two and how that works. Maybe we'll get that in the other Legion book uh, when they have their zero issue. But I just felt like this wasn't the zero issue i was expecting it was okay it wasn't bad it just could have been a lot more give that six and a half out of ten uh for those wondering about the the credits on that one i'll just uh, look that up yeah it looks like the issue was written by uh, tom defalco and artwork by pete woods i'm not a huge fan of pete woods art to be honest with you so that might have been part of it i do like tom defalco's writing it did, i mean it was all right it just it didn't didn't give me a lot about the team and didn't really explain why this guy is a member of the team based on what he can do, which is doesn't seem like very much. But then I'm not a I'm not a fan of the of the I'm not a huge fan of the Legion, so I apologize to those who are or like you know oh my god he's the coolest character ever you're such a dig at him you don't know what you're talking about it's true I don't I'm basing this totally on this issue the zero issue that they gave me did not give me a lot of really interest in this character uh, brings us up to Manhattan Project number six. Uh, I love Manhattan Projects. Uh, I recently picked up the Manhattan Projects trade. Uh, I already had issues 1 to 5, but I had to double dip. I needed to have the trade on my bookshelf so I could easily give it to other people because it's just one of my favorite books I have really ever read. It was just so good. This was a really, really, really good issue, although I felt like this issue should have been in the trade. Um, Issue 5 is kind of it was a great place to leave off for the trade until i read this issue because this issue it kind of it circles back to an earlier issue i think issue two uh with werner von braun um and the fact that you know he kills all the other he participates in a ritual with the other nazi scientists is the only one that survives and then defects to the u.s to help them with their rocket uh to go into space uh, this shows that there was another scientist who also escaped, but he was found by the Russians instead, and how you know he was humiliated and didn't like working with von Braun, um, and now and then he finally got to kind of be somebody. He was promised freedom uh, if he if he was able to get the Russian cosmonauts into space successfully and bring them back, and he was finally able to do this thing. But the U.S. and the USSR, as a result of what happened in the last two issues with the um, with the alien landing party, have decided to join forces because of this potential invasion. They need a union of some kind. And now, after everything he's done and everything he's been through, he doesn't have his freedom. And once again, he's kind of working for Von Braun, uh, who's representing representing the uh, the United States in this case. So I really like this issue. should have been in the trade. I think it would have been a nice uh, kind of uh, place to end it, although I... Still feel the same about issue five as well. Just this will be an odd spot to start the second trade because you'd be like, 
it's not as standalone friendly because it does tie into something that happened before and give you greater perspective on what was happening as a dual plotline. Uh, that they're not the only ones trying to get into space at this point in time. That being said, fantastic issue, fantastic artwork. I really like a lot of the choices he made, uh, both Hickman and Pitar, because I'm not really sure which one made which choices, but in some cases, like, the idea that uh, the Nazi scientists would be branded with a swastika on their face uh, to remind them of wh what they have done and what, what they were is really smart. Uh, I like the idea that, you know, the... Uh, the cosmonaut, when he comes back, he he keeps his uh, his uh, like astronaut helmet on all the time, even on Earth. Like just the little touches. Uh, I don't know if it's more Hickman who came up with them or Pitara was like, well, no, this would be a cool kind of a visual look. But uh, I'm really dug it. Really cool. Uh, I give that a nine out of ten. I just absolutely adore that book. Every month uh, when Manhattan Project comes out, I just, I'm really excited. And I think there should be another issue this month because I'm not sure, but this was originally supposed to come out in August and it was pushed back. So it may or may not be that we'll get another issue this month, which would be really exciting. Uh, if you're a fan of the book and if you're not a fan of the book, you really should be because it's, it's fantastic. You should give this a try. Next up is Ravager, Ravagers number zero. I gave it a four out of 10. Did not care for this at all. It was a protracted origin story. Uh, nothing really jibed, uh, really just didn't enjoy this at all. Like, I, I remember I read this and I was just like, why is this even happening? Like, I know about the characters for the most part, but like, I just, I didn't get it. Howard Mackey, not a bad writer, but this just didn't work. Ian Churchill on art, you know what? I'm surprised. I was actually, I'm just looking at it now to see, and I didn't realize I was Ian Churchill. This is not his best stuff. There's some material here which is pretty solid artwork, but it's not consistent at all. Uh, this just this just fell flat. It's a zero issue. This is the time to really get excited about these origins and make them fresh and exciting, and really make someone who's just trying the zero issues because this is yet another you know it's a year in, but it's a great jumping on point uh, instead of going back and having to read the first few issues because this is only started a few months ago. This should be a great another great jumping on point. I just felt if failed utterly at, at trying to make me interested in these characters to pick up this book and follow their adventures. Uh, so that's a 4 out of 10. Next up is Scarlet Spider number 9. Uh, not a bad issue. I gave it a 7 out of 10 just because, I mean, it was a conclusion to the arc, but it didn't... I don't know. It just kind of felt weird. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the characters that he was teaming up with, and uh, and I like the idea of going up against Roxxon, but I felt the first two issues were a lot more solid in this respect. Uh, Yo still writing, family and artwork, the color by St uh, sorry the cover by Stegman, so good. Like I, I look at the cover here and I'm just like, what is it? I mean, was it? I think it's that he inked him, I think he inks himself here, and you got uh, I guess Marte Garcia on the art on the color art on the cover. It just looks fantastic. Koi Fam is d does the artwork in the interior. Uh, you got Palmer, Soto, and Ketchum on inks. So that's a lot of uh, inkers. And then you got three colorists. So that's going to create a little bit of an inconsistency throughout. It wasn't a bad issue. It just it didn't feel nearly as strong. Uh, Kane didn't feel as, as well-developed as a character. Um, I don't know. It was okay. It just wasn't great. I did like that uh, he, he was asked to join the Rangers, though. That was interesting. Of course he's not going to join a team. I like the, his in, you know, continuing kind of internal monologue. That, you know, he really hates Peter Parker for giving him the sense of responsibility and all that. So I can't wait to see what happens next 
with this character because he's gonna be part of Minimum Carnage. So uh, for those who want to follow Minimum Carnage, it starts in Minimum Carnage Alpha on sale October the third. Then it leads into Scott Spider number ten, and then into Venom number twenty six. So I'm I'm hoping that's exciting. I really I really am. I this arc didn't end as well as it started, but it's still still good, still readable. It's just not as solid. Um, gave it a seven out of ten. Brings us to Suicide Squad number zero. Uh, I gave this an 8 out of 10. I actually really liked it. Uh, I like that this was the origin story for for Amanda Waller and her actually eventually creating the Suicide Squad and what she has to go through to do it. I'm still not a fan of this new, attractive, hot version of, uh, of Amanda Waller. I miss the old version, but that being said, I mean, she's kick-ass, she's cool, uh, you know, they make her basically a secret agent, like more of a, she's much more active in the field, much, much more skilled. She's pretty cool. It's by Adam Glass and uh, art by Fernando Dagnino. Um, I haven't really read a lot of, uh, sorry, Suicide Squad. I think I read the first six issues, uh, but this is a pretty good issue. You get a sense of her history, um, you know, her old partner, uh, she has to end up killing him to save him from like what this fate worth worse than death and you lead into her idea that suicide squad has to be created so that you know team seven was one thing but we need to start something new so pretty good issue as i said i give that an eight out of ten superboy number zero i gave it a six out of ten it just i'm actually even considering maybe even lowering that it just it didn't really work for me tom the falco wrote it art by rb silva uh i didn't really care for the idea of having having this you know this clone, it's basically Spartacus, but on Krypton with a clone named Khan, leading an uprising. That part of the issue I didn't really care for. Neither did I guess. I guess the character's name is Harvest. I don't really know. I just felt too much of the issue. It felt like a retread of some of the stuff that we kind of saw in issue one, uh, with what uh, Superboy was kind of seeing in his mind. Uh, I do like the idea that we got a, a little bit of a sense of, of maybe his genetic history and that there were these clones and there's this, this heritage of clones on Krypton. That being said, I didn't really need to read it. Uh, it really wasn't a Superboy Zero issue. It was more about Krypton Zero, if anything. Um, so I was going to give that a 6. I'm actually going to lower that to a 5. It doesn't look bad. Tom the Falco didn't do a bad job, per se. It just it was kind of didn't go anywhere, didn't really need to happen. It wasn't all that interesting. Next up is Team 7, number 0. Gave it a 7 out of 10. It was actually, because this is actually the first issue of Team 7. So it was a great way of kind of showing why this team has to get created, who's on the team. Uh, I can't wait to see what the team does, how they're, what they do ends up affecting the rest of the DC universe, because obviously a bunch of their members end up not on the team anymore, like Grifter and uh, Deathstroke. We already know the Deathstroke has a bad end on a mission, uh, which we already saw in his own Zero issue. Uh, but pretty cool. I'm actually interested to see what happens with this team. It could be really cool. I like the idea that it takes place in the past because they can play a little bit more. And then hopefully we'll eventually see the implications of, of these adventures later on somewhere else. So uh, pretty cool. I'm looking forward to the next issue of this. Mission 2 should be good. Um, sorry. Issue number 1 should be good. Uh, it is weird to start with a Zero issue, though, because... Theoretically, issue one should be your origin issue anyway, but it works. It does it. It does the job. Give it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Incredible Hulk 13. Um, so Stay Angry is over. This was a nice kind of glimpse at what, what has Banner been up to. And he actually hasn't been as crazy as, as Hulk thinks. Hulk's been kind of viewing him as more of a villain 
he's actually had a lot more to do. He uh, he came up with a uh, finally came up with a cure for Hulk, but he doesn't actually want to use it, and he wants to go up against you know th- those who have kind of wronged them and messed with them. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote it. Jeff Palto and sorry Paolo on art. Uh, great art style. I like so many cool things happen here. Like you have Bruce Banner uh, winning a lot at the you know uh, in Vegas and having all this money. It's basically this is what he's been doing when he hasn't been Hulk. And uh, he interacts with Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom doesn't treat him all that well. But even with Doctor Doom, like he's just killing Doombots left, right, and center. Uh, then he appeals to to Hulk to make sure um, you know that he that he takes you know takes kind of vengeance on on those who have done really wrong by them recently. It's just really cool. A really fun stuff. And the last panel is kind of odd looking. Reminds me of Professor Hulk. Uh, but it looks pretty cool. So I like this. It, it, I mean, we know a lot's going to be changing with Indestructible Hulk. And maybe this is leading up to it more than it looked like. It. Originally, this kind of felt like this is so completely different than what we're about to get. So where's the where's the connection? But now it looks like, okay, well, maybe, maybe he's going to be a little bit smarter by the end of this arc. And that will lead into Indestructible Hulk where he's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So... Uh, pretty good issue. Gave it an eight out of ten. Next is New Avengers number thirty. Uh, I, eh, it, it's it's such a eh issue, and I know that's not a real thing, but uh, like uh, it starts off with just a, an interaction between Daredevil and Luke Cage about you know him being on the team and what's going on with him, and Jessica and their daughter. Uh, you got a lot of mindless fighting because you have some purifiers wanting to kill Emma Frost, who I guess is captured. Which again, a lot of this doesn't really make a lot of sense because. They they didn't have time to leave the big battle where suddenly Dark Phoenix is there with Emma Frost and now being conscious and bringing her to like jail. Like the chronology of this doesn't make any sense. Uh, really, it's an issue about show, about Luke Cage making a decision that he's quitting the Avengers. Uh, the actual right like the interactions between him and Daredevil are pretty solid, but then you just got a lot of mindless fighting. Um, so originally, I was thinking of giving this a seven, uh, maybe six and a half, seven. I mean. It's not a bad issue. Again, it just felt very generic, and it's impossible to place in terms of the AVX chronology, which just drives me nuts. Uh, Uncanny X-Men number 18 is up next. 7.5 out of 10. I actually, I actually liked it. It was an interesting take on, you know, Emma and Cyclops having a discussion in their mind, and, like, they're... Like, they're... It's just... it's Well, first of all, sorry. The first part of the issue is is Colossus and Magic having a showdown, and then you lead into this really messed up dinner that Cyclops and Phoenix, uh, sorry, uh, Emma Frost have in his mind, and uh, it takes place during the, the battle in AVX 11, and then it kind of ends on a somber note as he, as he takes out Emma Frost and drinks a cup of the Phoenix Force in his mind, and then becomes, you know, Dark Phoenix. I actually kind of liked it. Uh, I haven't been a big fan of Gian's uh, tie-ins to AVX, but I actually found this pretty good. Kieran Gillen on art, sorry, Gian on art, and Ron Garney on artwork. Um, so I give this actually a 7.5 out of 10. Actually, I'm thinking an 8. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I think it had any right to be. Uh, it's it would, If you read it alongside AVX 11, it's actually pretty good. Uh, leads us to Uncanny X-Force number 31. Uh, this one I gave a 7 out of 10. Uh... Sad that Uncanny X-Force is ending. That being said, I didn't find this issue all that good. Uh, the last couple of issues, of, well, not last issue, because that was a weird kind of diversion, but the issues before that were there in the future were really dark, really cool. I don't know how I feel about Dakin and Sabretooth just hanging out, or really this version of the Brotherhood. 
um, what they're doing to Evan. It, it wasn't a bad issue. It just I was kind of like, where's this going? Uh, some of the interactions felt a little odd. I'm just kind of like, get to the point already. But then the the issue ends, and it's really cool because you got Deadpool being like, I couldn't kill you before, Evan, but now I can do it. And he's about to shoot him in the head. So pretty cool. And based on what we've seen last issue with Evan kind of experimenting when he was pushed and pushed and him having to kind of tap into that anger and that self-preservation instinct, I'm interested to see exactly what will go down that will lead into the events we saw at the beginning of this month's issue. Um, so it was not bad. 7 out of 10. Brings us to Winter Soldier number 10. Uh, definitely one of the best books of the week. I uh, gave it a 9 out of 10. It's just this is Brubaker doing what he does best uh, and plus with, with an art uh, sorry, an artistic partner that really understands his own vision. So we got Butch Geisen artwork looking a lot like a lark, but has his own his own certain sensibilities. It's just such a dark, awesome story of what happens when Black Widow. They think that she's fine, but she's still got some messed up programming in her mind. So she goes crazy. She you know she shoots shoots up some of the people in the helicarrier and she takes off. Um, and what does that mean to Bucky? And Bucky wants to stop, you know, wants to go after her, wants to save her and find out wh- what control she's been put under so that, you know, he can bring her back, bring back the woman that he loves. So it's just really cool. Uh, and we also have some great interactions with Hawkeye and Wolverine who find out that he's alive. Just this is this is a great book. This is Brubaker's best book that he's writing right now. This feels like what Captain America used to be. And this is I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I'm sad that he's going to be leaving the book soon, and I probably might leave with it as well. Just because he gets this character. He's the one who made this character into what Winter Soldier is. Bucky was Bucky, and then it became something else entirely when he brought him back. And that's all thanks to Brubaker. And plus the the artist he had at the time that really had this great visual style. And then Geist does this issue, and Lark did the first few issues, or the first couple arcs, I think. This is just really solid, really, really tight. Uh, So much fun to read. Brings us to uh, Wolverine and the X-Men number 16. Wow. Last issue was really, really good. So, you know, what? Do, how, what's the best way to follow up a really good issue of Wolverine and the X-Men? Let's make a really not good issue. That's what this is. Jason Aaron on, on uh, script. Bachelot on art. This is a mess. I do not care about Kildor or Kildare, whatever his name is, and his, uh, his Hellfire Club. Could not possibly care less. Uh, I don't... I don't... I just don't like it. I... I like the seeing that, that they're developing all these different versions of um, of the Phoenix, but other than that, I just didn't care for any of this. I didn't care for the, uh, the Phoenix 5 being here, because that means that this issue takes place months ago. Um, I don't care about anything about the background of the, this version of the Hellfire Club. I just don't like these characters, don't like the way they're written. I like the old school Hellfire Club, not this mess. Uh, just in the next issue, dupe. Yay. Two issues in a row might suck. So this just wasn't to my taste. I like Bachelot. He's this wasn't bad art. It just I just found it so uninspiring, so unengaging. It, I just didn't find it interesting. So five out of ten. Last book, X Men Legacy two seventy three. Wow, you want to talk about unengaging books? Let's talk about this one. Five out of ten, old way. Uh, I cannot believe the storyline's still going on. Rogue on an alien planet. 
work, you know, f- you know, fighting the good fight and uh, and trying to wanting to get home, and then she finally gets home in the last issue, and then you can pretend like this never happened because I can bet you that the writers will act that way. This I don't know why this even happened. It's like they didn't know what to do for a tie-in, so they had an idea. Hey, let's do some cool stuff with Rogue, and then let's throw her off world for a while. Let's we don't really know why we're gonna do this. It's just gonna go on for a while. Let's do that. That's a great idea, and it's a mess. So no thanks. Five out of ten. Uh, for the books we didn't look at, we didn't look at Resurrection Man Zero, Before Watchmen Comedian Three, Demon Knight Zero, Frankenstein Agent of Shade Zero, Grifter Zero, there's a lot of zeros in there, Ultimate Comics X-Men 16, X-Men 35, Extreme X-Men 3, or Doctor Strange Season 1. So unfortunately, just didn't have time to go through those issues, uh, this week, so I apologize if you were hoping to get a review of those, but, uh, we, we did look at, uh, you know, 26 books, so hopefully we found something you would have picked up. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Comic Shenanigans. This is Adam Chapman signing off, and hopefully you will join us for our next episode. Our next episode, episode number 10, should be our top five favorite Spider-Man stories, um, and hopefully I will have some special guests join me in the studio. So make sure to uh, subscribe to Comic Shenanigans in order to get that update. Uh, also, if you want to like us on Facebook, uh, you can look up Comic Shenanigans there. Also, if you want to drop us an email, please feel free to do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Uh, I hope to get some more uh, feedback from listeners so that we can uh, maybe have some questions, something that uh, me and my guests can talk about in an upcoming episode. I would like to get reader listener feedback and any questions you have for us. Uh, again, my usual or semi-regular guests are uh, Nate Struck and Paul Scores, as well as uh, Kelly Chapman, my wife who hopefully will be making a return appearance to the podcast soon. So if you want to see more of of any of those three people or ask questions of them specifically, please feel free to do so. Otherwise, thanks again for listening, and make sure to join us next time for another episode of Comic Shenanigans.